Well, good morning, everyone. If you'll please stand with us and worship together. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was Till I met you, I was breathing but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb. Till I met you. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness, into your glorious day. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness, into now your mercy has saved my soul now your freedom is all that I know the old name this morning. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now you love is the end I have a future, my eyes are open, cause when you call my name, I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day, you call my name. Out of the darkness into your glorious day. 
Amen. I hope you're preparing for a glorious day today.
I don't know what kind of week you had. Maybe you had a great week. Maybe it wasn't so great a week. Here's what I know. A lot has changed even in a week's time frame. But what I also know is that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. And he is Lord of all. And we can stand upon him as the rock. Well, it's VBS week. So if you weren't excited when you came, hopefully all the decorations have got you excited. Take a moment. Welcome those around you and get excited about VBS. All right, you may return to your seats. You may be seated. Well, good morning. As you know, it is, uh, it's going to be an exciting week as we prepare for VBS. But before we talk about that, let me welcome you. Uh, if this is your first time with us, thank you for being here. Uh, delighted that you would choose to worship with us on this Sunday morning. If there's any way that we can serve you, love on you, please um, just let us know. There's a way that you can um, let us know this is your first time. There's a connection card here in the bulletin. You can take a picture of that, fill out some information online, or there's a connection card out there in the, um, the foyer. You can fill that out. So, all right, well, it's VBS week. You guys excited? Who's excited? So, tonight is obviously kind of the kickoff. We're praying for good weather all week long, but if it rains the other nights, we can move recreation inside. Not ideal, but we can do it. But we cannot move tonight inside. There'll be way too many people, and we cannot have water slides in the sanctuary. <laughs> so um, we need all of us praying, and God's in control, praying for good weather. Um, if it rains a little bit, that's fine. They're going to be wet anyways. What's the matter, right? But... We don't want any strong winds or storms, and so just be a prayer for that this afternoon and just ask for God's blessing um, in that. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to being crazy for the week, doing a little dancing like I did last year. If you've not noticed up here, one of our students thought they would be real creative and put, they wanted to put this on the church sign, but I had to say no. Call 911 because this pastor is on fire. I do not agree. But um, that's one of our use opinions. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so if you're volunteering, if you're helping, thank you. If you've already helped, 
um, in decorating uh, and preparing. Thank you. Um, if you're not able to volunteer this week, then please pray. One of the most important things that you can do is pray. Pray for good health, for good weather, but also that boys and girls would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and would be saved. That our teachers would articulate that clearly, that in all that we do, our kids would see, man, we believe in Jesus. He's the cornerstone, and that our God can forgive and save us from our sins. And so um, just be in prayer this week. So our praying the scripture this morning comes out of Isaiah 59, verse 1. Again, each week we want to uh, the scriptures to be the focal point of our time of worship. We want to pray the scriptures. Isaiah 59, 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. So would you just let that verse in Isaiah 59, verse 1, just prompt you as you go to the Lord in prayer, and then I will pray for us, and then we will continue um, to worship together. Father God, we praise you for the truthfulness of verse 1. But we cannot think about verse 1 with also, without also thinking of the next verse. Which says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God, the reality this morning is that we are all sinners, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And our sin separates us from you, a holy, righteous God. And that truth makes verse 1 all the more amazing. That, Lord, your hand is not shortened that it cannot save. There is not one person in this room, one person watching online, one family member, one friend. God, that you cannot save right now. They are not too far gone. They have not committed so great a sin, God, that you could not forgive them. But in order for them to be forgiven, in order for them to enter into the kingdom of God, in order for them to have eternal life, the Bible is clear. They must repent and they must believe. And in our parable this morning, we will see some folks who repented and believed and experienced the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And we will see another group who, because they were filled with so much self-righteousness and religiosity, did not think they needed to repent. And therefore, they will not enter into the kingdom of God. Father, this morning, as you search our hearts, as you know our hearts, Lord, may we just ask one simple question, and that is, have we repented? Have we believed Upon the name of Jesus. And if we have, then we can know forgiveness and salvation. And if we haven't, then, oh God, press upon the hearts of the hearers today, the ears of the hearers today, of the necessity not to put that off any longer, but to do it today. And God, if we have repented and if we have believed, 
And if we have entered into the kingdom of God by grace through faith in Christ alone, then, Father, that should be evidence to a life of obedience as we seek to do what the Father calls us to do, to live how the Father calls us to live. Father, help us not to put that off, but to do it today with a sense of urgency to do, God, what you're calling us to do for your glory and your honor. God, we're about to sing a song that many of us know, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Father, we're living in a culture in which it's getting harder and harder to take a stand without there being some sort of consequence. So God, as we sing this song this morning, may it not just be lip service that we offer up to you, but may we sing it with all of our heart. And that is we are resolving today to continue to stand up for our Lord and our Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together.
Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Let's continue worship together. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he
Amen. All right, at this time, our children, you can make your way out to Children's Church. Thank you, Brian. So our children are going to make their way out to Children's Church. Everybody else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and open to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, the 21st chapter. So we continue our series this summer on the parables of Jesus. So back in the 50s, the governor of Massachusetts was out campaigning for votes. He'd been out all day. He was um, tired, exhausted, hungry. After his busy morning, he arrived at a church barbecue. And so the governor begins to move down the serving line. He held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. She put one piece on his plate and then began to turn to the next person to serve them. The governor said, excuse me, ma'am, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him, I'm supposed to give you one piece of chicken to each person. He said, but I'm starving. Can I please have another piece? And she said, sorry, only one to a customer. So the governor, they said, was a usually modest guy, decided this time he'd throw his weight around a little bit. And he said, ma'am, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. And the woman said, sir, do you know who I am? I am the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along. Move along, mister. So we're going to look at a parable this morning, but before we get to that parable, we have to look at an exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders that helped set up this parable. And in that exchange, there's a word that the religious leaders use, and the word is authority. See, this governor was used to throwing around his authority, and he thought, hey, I can throw my authority around here, but he was met by a woman who in that moment had greater authority. She was in charge of the chicken. And she said, sorry, you're not going to have any more. And so there's this issue of authority that comes up, And then out of that conversation comes this parable that Jesus tells. So we've got to do a little background um, before we get to the parable. So we want to read the parable first. Let's start there. Um, Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word? This is the parable, the story that Jesus tells after this conversation with the religious leaders. He said, what do you think? Again, he's trying to engage them, trying to get them in the story. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. He went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. You may be seated. So where are we? We are at a place where Jesus has already done the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right? In essence, declaring he is the Messiah the Old Testament is pointing to. Um, He has then cleansed 
the temple, right? Declaring, my house should be called a house of prayer. You make it a den of robbers. And then verse 14 says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were indignant. So you've got this group of people, right? The religious leaders who do not like Jesus. So when you pick up in verse 23, it says, when he, that's Jesus, entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him. So you had this, this thing called the Sanhedrin, right? The Sanhedrin was comprised of chief priests, scribes, elders. They were seen as the men who had authority over religious matters. Uh, one, one book, a really thick book that I read said they had um, authority over religious matters, legal matters, even political matters. Like people looked to them to decide things. They were considered experts in the Old Testament, right? They knew their stuff. And so they come up to Jesus while Jesus is teaching, and, he, and they said, here's their question, by what authority, there's that word, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Here's the question, who gave you the authority to come into town on a donkey, who gave you the authority to come into the temple and clean it? drive people out? Who gave you the authority to be healing these people? Who gave you the authority to be teaching what you have taught? Because here's the thing, Jesus never once sought their permission. That's what they're asking. Who gave you the permission? Who gave you the right to do this? Right? Authority matters. Right? If you're driving down the road and you're speeding, a police officer has the authority to pull you over. And I would recommend you do what they say and you listen to them. Your neighbor doesn't have that authority. If your neighbor wants to try to pull you over, they're probably just crazy. Don't, I wouldn't listen to them, right? They don't have that kind of authority. So authority matters. And they want to know who gave you the permission, who gave you the right to do this. And they're angry because Jesus has never come to them and said, hey, guys, can I have your permission to do this? Can I have your permission to teach this? He never consulted them and they feel threatened and they don't like it. So they come to Jesus. They've got this question. What authority? Who gave it to you? Why are you doing this? So how does Jesus answer them? Well, Jesus answers them with a question. He said, I also will ask you one question. And here's the deal. If you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things and where my authority comes from. So basically, you answer my question, I'll answer yours. And here's Jesus' question. And again, this is setting up the parable. The baptism of John, so we're talking about John the Baptist, out in the wilderness, baptizing people. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? So Jesus says, hey guys, I wanna know what's your opinion on the ministry of John the Baptist. Where did it come from? Heaven, from God, or from man? And so what do they do? Well, they discuss it among themselves. I can just see themselves pulling back from Jesus, having this little huddle, trying to come up with an answer, and here's their dilemma. If we say from heaven, so if we say John the Baptist, his ministry came from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? So, time out, what was the ministry of John the Baptist? Well, we know John the Baptist as the baptizer, right? He was baptizing people. But what was he doing? Well, John the Baptist was ultimately preparing the way for who? Jesus. 
the Messiah. He was saying the Messiah's coming, be prepared. And so people were coming out, hearing this message of repent for the Messiah's coming. They were coming out, they were repenting, they wanted to get their hearts right for the Messiah who this man is saying is coming. And then what does John the Baptist do? Jesus comes and John declares, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the Messiah is coming, repent, prepare your hearts. Here's Jesus, he's the Messiah. That's the ministry of John the Baptist. And people are coming to him and they're being baptized and their lives are being changed. And then when Jesus shows up, they're believing in Jesus because John was pointing to Jesus. So if we say from heaven, then what we're saying is his ministry was legit and everything he said was true. But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd for they all hold that John was a prophet. If we say he didn't come from God, he was just a man doing his own thing and he's a little cuckoo. Well, all the people really like John the Baptist and so the problem then is going to be, if we deny his ministry, then the experts are now discredited. So they're between a rock and a hard place. So how do they answer Jesus' question? Verse 27, we do not know. We don't know. The experts didn't know how to answer Jesus. And so Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So here's the question about authority. The ministry of John the Baptist, that's important because Jesus is going to come back to that. They don't know, and out of this, Jesus tells them a parable. So that's the background. What do you think? A man, a father, had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. Son, go empty out the dishwasher I will not. Daughter, go clean your room. I will not. That is defiant. Right? That is just outright, I will not do what you tell me to do. Parents, you've been there. Typically, you discipline your children. He's defiant. I will not. But then look what it says. But afterward, he changed his mind. Maybe he went to his room, thought about it some more, and said, man, I was disrespectful I need to go do what my dad told me to do. So he changed his mind and he went. And then he went to the other son and he said the same. What does he say? Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Uh, he did not go. Now, before we look at Jesus' question and the purpose of the parable, I want us to take a moment and just big picture think about these two sons because this is important, I think. You need to understand that both of these sons are flawed. Both of their responses were wrong. The first son was defiant. I will not. And yes, he changes his mind and eventually goes. But what he should have said is, yes, sir. And he goes immediately. That would have been obedient. He's defiant changes his mind the other son right he's just disobedient sure dad i'll go and he never gets around to it he never goes and does what the father says now here jesus approves the first son's obedience but he does not approve his initial disobedience he was initially disobedient and jesus is going to touch on that in the parable. And so before we see Jesus' question and his explanation of the parable, 
you and I need to understand something about the nature of sin. We are all sinful. Every one of us. Both of these sons were sinful. We are all sinful. There is none righteous, no, not one. Therefore, we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. Every single one of us, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, you are a sinner in need of a Savior. So what does Jesus say? Verse 31. Which of the two did the will of the Father? Now, on numerous occasions, the religious leaders try to set Jesus up. They try to trap Jesus. They don't realize they're being set up. This is a setup. He tells them a parable with an obvious answer, and he says, which of the two did the will of the Father? Now, notice they refuse to answer Jesus' previous question about John the Baptist. They do not hesitate to answer this one because it's an obvious answer. Which one was ultimately obedient? Which one did the will of the Father? What's the first one? Because he ended up going to do what he told him to do, which was to go to the vineyard. And so what do they say? The first. And then Jesus confirms their answer, and he drops the hammer on them. Verse 31. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. You have to understand how shocking that would have been to them. How angry that would have made the religious folks that Jesus says the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you, he's going back to John the Baptist, for John came to you in the way of righteousness, that's Jesus' way of saying he came to you from God. He was God sent, a prophet of God in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So I want to give you three points of application in a couple minutes, but before we do that, let's take a moment and let's look at these two sons. The first son I want you to see as the repentant son. The first son in this parable is the repentant son. And what Jesus is doing is he is comparing tax collectors and prostitutes to the first son who said, I will not go to the vineyard, but then afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he is saying the tax collectors and the prostitutes are like them. How so? Well, the tax collectors and the prostitutes were guilty of violating God's commands. They were guilty of rejecting God. Tax collectors, a despised group of people, guilty of breaking the eighth command, thou shalt not steal. They were despised. They were viewed as traitors, right? They worked for the Roman government. They were taxing their own people. And not only that, right, the Roman government just set the minimal tax. They would go above that to pocket money for themselves. They were despised. They were the lowest of the low. And they were guilty of breaking the command of God and stealing. Prostitutes were guilty of breaking the seventh command. Thou shalt not commit adultery. These two groups of people did things that were socially unacceptable. They were offensive to God. They were like the first son. They maybe had heard the law. They had heard of God's love for them, how they were to walk with God, and they chose, we will not follow you, just like the first son. But at some point, something happens, and they have a change of heart. Because the tax collectors and the prostitutes repent. They heard the message of John the Baptist. 
They're confronted with their sin. They, like many other people, are going out to check out this dude out in the wilderness. Right? They're, they're curious. They hear him saying he's preparing the way for the Messiah. So these sinners come to the river. They repent. They're baptized. They're waiting on the Messiah. And then when the Messiah comes, not only have they believed in John, but they begin to believe in Jesus. The outcasts begin to come to Jesus because they recognize their need for a Savior. But they hadn't always been without sin. They were wretched. And when we see this picture, this is a picture of God saving grace throughout the Scripture. Amen? That God saves tax collectors and He saves prostitutes. And you think of some of the worst sinners that may live on the planet in 2022. And listen to me, if they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus, they will be forgiven. No matter how wretched they may have been, if they repent and believe so we have a picture here of the repentant son, of the repentant folks in Israel, but then we also have a picture of the hypocritical son. Jesus is comparing the chief priest and elders to the second son who said, I go, sir. Man, he was so respectful, wasn't he? He even said, sir, I go, sir, but he did not go. Many of the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they had repented, but not these religious leaders. They were filled with their smug self-righteousness, and because of that, they refused to repent of their sins. And Jesus is condemning their hypocrisy. He's like, you're like the second son who say you'll go, but you never go. Listen, these folks, these chief priests, these scribes, these elders, they had a reputation for serving God. They had the reputation for doing religious things and knowing the law. They were the experts on religious matters. They had said, we will obey God. And they had all of these laws that they added to the laws given by God. And yet, when it comes time and God sends the prophet John the Baptist, they reject him. And when John the Baptist is pointing people to Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, they reject Jesus. They deny their need for a Savior. Why? Because they believe themselves to be right in their own eyes. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, oh, they're coming. And the religious leaders, the religious folks, stand in the back condemning them and rejecting Jesus because we don't need Jesus. And look what Jesus says in verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. Look at this. And even when you saw it, so they first reject John's message. But then with their own eyes, they begin to see these wicked, wretched sinners coming to John, then coming to Jesus. Their lives are being changed. And Jesus says, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. You saw the power and you continued to reject me. You continued to reject me. So let me make three points of application as we think about this parable. Again, a picture of a repentant son who turns from their sins and believes in Jesus and does the will of the Father. And then the other son who says, I will go and never goes, the religious leaders. Three points of application. Number one, one's initial response to the gospel is not always final. One's initial response to the gospel is not always final. Listen to me very carefully. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. And I may not even know what sin you are currently living in. 
And maybe this morning in this room or watching online, in your heart, you think you are too far gone for God to save you. That you have done too much stuff for God to ever possibly forgive and save you. But here's the reality that we see in the gospel that will be on the screen. God is more willing to receive repentant sinners than sinners are to repent of their sins. God is more willing to receive repentant sinners than sinners are to repent of their sins. The most despised in all of Israel, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, come to Jesus. And there they find forgiveness of their sins. Because that's who our God is. He will forgive. The problem is not, will God forgive you? The problem is, do you recognize you need forgiveness? Are you willing to come to Jesus and say, I'm a wretch sinner and I need forgiveness? So let me just ask you a question. If that's you, if you can say this morning, look, pastor, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never confessed my sins. I'm I'm like the religious people here. Just doing a lot of religious things, but I've never given my life to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What's keeping you from Christ this morning? What's keeping you from Christ? Is it pride? For many of us, looking back upon your life, that's what kept you from coming to Jesus earlier. It was pride. You were more interested in yourself, love for self, doing what you wanted, that you could never come to the point where you realized, man, I was a sinner. You maybe grew up in church. You were religious. You knew the answers. It was pride. Or maybe it's false understanding of God's love. You think, maybe one extreme, man, God's a God of love. He's just going to forgive everybody. We're all going to be in heaven singing kumbaya. I can live however I want. You're telling me God's love. He will not condemn me. Man, he says to these religious folks, these sinners are going to get there before you. Some take that to mean they're going to be there instead of you. It's not just they're going before you. They're going and you're not. And if there's no repentance, then there cannot be eternal life with Jesus Christ. So maybe that's your extreme, or maybe you're on the other extreme, which you think God's love for you is always dependent upon your performance. So when you get it right, man, God loves me. And when you blow it and you sin and you keep committing that same thing that you keep repenting of, you're like, man, God God can't possibly love me. You have a false understanding of God's love. Or maybe you just have a desire to impress others. And you're never really going to come to Jesus because you want to impress others. Listen, maybe this is somebody in this room, maybe it's not. You have been in church your entire life, maybe grew up in church, and you know in your heart, hear me, you know in your heart, you have never really repented and believed upon the name of Jesus. You know that. And if I were to say to you, will you have eternal life in your heart, you're not sure but you have never walked this aisle and you have never told anybody because you are afraid. And what are they going to think about me? I've been in this church my whole life. I mean, certainly they must think I'm saved. Like I've helped serve, maybe even even been a deacon before. Like you've served and you're just like, everybody in this room must assume I'm a believer and you're not. And what's going to happen? What are they going to think about me if this morning I make it public, I'm lost and I need to be saved? Let me tell you what's going to happen. There may be some of us that are going to be like, man, I just assumed he was saved. But you know what we're going to do after that? We're going to throw a party. That's what we're going to do. 
because you realized you were lost and needed a savior. We'll throw you a party. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care what religion you grew up in. If you don't know Jesus, then you need Jesus. Don't be like these religious leaders. Don't be like them. So listen, your initial response to the gospel is not always final. Maybe you've rejected Jesus. This morning, repent and believe and you'll be saved. What are you going to do with Jesus today? Second thing is this. Where we end up is a lot more important than where we start. Where we end up is a lot more important than where we start. Listen, some first resist Christ. Maybe that's you. You resisted Christ growing up, elementary, middle, high school, got into college, got married. You were resisting Christ. And then the Spirit of God got a hold of you. You repented, put your faith in Jesus, and you were saved. You didn't start too well, but now you know Jesus. Others start strong. Grow up in church. Maybe they accept Christ, accept the gospel with joy, eagerly join a church. There's a promising start, which is quickly followed by a disappearing act. And they're gone. Profession of faith, but no evidence, no fruit. They're just gone. One commentary I read said this, we have in this story one boy who is a pain at breakfast and another who is a joy at breakfast. But the problem for the second boy is that this is not a breakfast parable, it's a supper parable. Because the picture painted at supper is different from the one at breakfast. Very different. This is about a dinner parable. This is about salvation. And what are you going to do with Jesus? And it's not about how you start. It's what happens and how do you finish. Listen, you can do a lot of religious things and still be disobedient to God and his will. You can say all the right things. I will go, sir. I'm in God, whatever you need. And still be outright disobedient to him and his will. Listen to what John MacArthur writes. He says, religion doesn't get you in the kingdom. Amen. Religion, good deeds, good work, let's be clear, doesn't get you in the kingdom. But then he goes on to say this, and sin repented of and forgiven doesn't keep you out. Sin confessed and repented of and forgiven doesn't keep you out. Salvation is not about what you have done, but it is about what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's not about where you have been, but where you are now because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So where are you now? Some of you, you don't have a good start. Some of you, the middle's a little bit rocky. Some of you right now, you begin to wander away from Jesus. Where are you right now? And hear me, if you are in Christ, if you have given your life to Christ, here's the question. Are you committed to living out that in your life? Let me ask you a question. Did Paul get off to a good start? Mm -mm. Persecuting those who followed Jesus. He didn't get off to a good start. But then Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, changed his life, and Paul finished well. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. And my prayer is that every single one of us in this room can say, we're going to run this race. We're going to finish well for the glory of Jesus Christ. And that leads me to the last point, and that is this. We need to be a people focused on God's work for God's glory. So let me be clear that this parable is ultimately about salvation. It's ultimately about have you repented and believed? Because one group of people, the 
prostitutes and the tax collectors had, and the religious group of people had not. And so Jesus basically answers their question in his response to them. That the ministry of John the Baptist came from God, and they had rejected it. So it's clear what their response is. They've also rejected Jesus. So this is ultimately about salvation, repenting and believing. But in the commentary written by James Montgomery Boyce, he zeroes in on the statement that the Father makes to the Son. And he says that though this is ultimately a parable about salvation, I want to be clear, repenting and believing, that's how you get into the kingdom of God. He makes the point that when you look at this statement, there is a call to obedience here. And so you and I need to understand that repentance and faith are demonstrated by obedience. If we say we have repented of our sins and believed in Jesus and he is Lord and Savior of our life, that is to be demonstrated by obedience. So Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So James Montgomery Boyce makes this application. He, he draws out three things from this statement Jesus says Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And again, by going, he's not saved. By going, he's demonstrating repentance and faith and believing, and that's how he's saved. But James Montgomery Boyce makes this, and I want to apply this to us as Christians. The first thing he says is this, there is work to be done. The father says to the son, go, right, go and work. There is work to be done. Brothers and sisters, those of us who have repented and believed in Jesus, there is work to be done in the kingdom of God. Amen? There's work to be done. Luke chapter 10 verse 2 says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. There's work to be done. And so if we have given our life to Jesus, will we commit to say, Father, there's work to do, and I must be about your business. I must be about the kingdom of God. The second thing he points out is this. The work is God's work. The son was to go to the vineyard, and he was to do the work that the father had given him to do, not just whatever he wanted. Right? When he says go and work in the vineyard today, the implication there is go do the work that's in my vineyard for you to do. And so the work is God's work. So brothers and sisters, is the work that we're doing for the kingdom of God, are we doing it for the glory of God? Is our work done for God, for his glory, or, or are we more interested in, in doing things for our own name and our own fame. About a month ago when Brian Scoggin was here and he was teaching and preaching, he said something that immediately, man, I took out my phone and I, I typed it in and he said this, building my kingdom in Jesus' name. Building my kingdom in Jesus' name. Sometimes, if we're honest, we're guilty of that. We're doing the work of God, but we're really doing it to advance our name. We're really more concerned with our kingdom and how many people know us. We just throw Jesus' name in there because it makes us look really religious. Man, are we building our kingdom in Jesus' name, or are we building the kingdom of God in Jesus' name? And the last thing he says, and this is how we will close, the need is now. He says, go and work in the vineyard today. Now. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do not delay any longer. We do it now. When God says go, we say yes, Father, and we go. 
because we have entered the kingdom through repentance and faith. William Taylor said, let us be on our guard therefore in this matter, for procrastination grows upon us the more we yield to it. Our work accumulates and our time for doing it diminishes, all because we are not fully alive to the importance of today. We have today. You're not promised tomorrow, next week, next year. You have today, so do not delay. Hear me as we close. Repent and believe now, right now. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Don't say, man, I feel the Spirit of God leading me. I know I need to make a profession of faith, but I'll do it tomorrow. I'll put it off till next week. Stop putting it off. Give your life to Jesus today. Heed the call of the Spirit of God. Serve Jesus now. Young folks, don't wait till you're 20, 25, 30 to start serving. Serve Jesus now. Tell others about Jesus today. Call them, text them, get together with them. Tell them today, don't put it off any longer. Repent of your sin now. Oh, brothers and sisters, young folks, hear me. Repent of your sin now. Don't give the excuse, well, I'm just going to enjoy my sin now, sow my wild oats now, and later I'll repent and come back to Jesus. Why do you want to do that? This room is filled with people who've made that same choice, who have heartaches and regrets because we chose to put off serving Jesus when we should have done it now. If, you, if there's sin in your life, young or old, Repent of it now, today, right this moment. Call out to Jesus. Jesus, this is my sin, and today I'm repenting. Come at the altar in a minute and pray. Leave it here. Don't keep taking it with you. Obey God's word in your current situation. Last point. Don't say, well, I'll obey God when it comes to this matter, but this matter I'm not. No, whatever the current situation, whatever you are, whatever you're facing, obey the word of God in everything and do it now. Brothers and sisters, do not delay. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Listen, you're in one of two camps this morning. And in either camp, this message applies to you. Either you are like the religious folks who continue to reject Jesus, just doing your religious thing, having never repented, never believed, and the message for you today is simply this. Stop denying and, and believe in the name of Jesus. You have heard the message. You have seen the power of the gospel because you have seen people's lives in this room transformed. So stop rejecting and believe. Repent and believe. And then for us as Christians, let us run the race well. Again, neither son was perfect. No one in this room your entire life has said yes to the Lord and no to sin. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And so we've repented. We believed. We've received God's grace and mercy. And now the question for us is, will we be about the work of the kingdom of God? Whatever God is saying to you, wherever God is leading you, whatever God is calling you to, will you stop making excuses? Will you stop living in fear? And oh God, will you help us? To simply say, yes, Lord, here I am. I will go. I am willing. I will be faithful. And we put our yes on the table today.
right now. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy because if it were not for your grace and your mercy, this place would be empty. No one would be here. But we are sinners saved by grace, transformed through your saving power. That's why we can sing glorious day. That's why we can sing these songs because we know the power of Jesus, you to save us. But God, we need you to continue to work in our hearts because we're not perfect. We fall short. So continue to forgive us. We confess our sin to you now. Spirit of God, move in this place. Draw us to yourselves. Use this morning, God, to prepare us for an incredible week of Bible school. And Lord, we leave here, Lord, just rejoicing in your grace and in your mercy and the fact, God, that you do indeed save sinners, the chief of sinners like me. Thank you for your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? The altar, as always, is open. If you need to come and kneel and pray, take somebody by the hand and say, hey, will you pray with me? I'm here at the front if you need prayer as well. Eternal God, unchanging, mysterious, and unknown, your boundless love, unfailing in grace and mercy shown, bright seraphim and ceaseless flight around your glorious throne, they
Amen. Amen. You can remain standing. Let me just go over a couple of announcements uh, quickly. Hopefully you're looking at the bulletin. Um, so VBS kicks off tonight, so we're excited about that. Um, be in prayer for that. Church directory. So next Sunday, right after church, you don't have to sign up. You just stick around, uh, be ready to take um, the picture for the church directory, and then we hope to have those done uh, sometime in August. So this will be the last day for uh, directory photos. Um, see the announcement about Families for Families. If you're interested in that on July 25th, please let me know. Again, that's the first required step. NBC's Got Talent. Please see Curtis about that. Church picnic. Hopefully I will have more details about that next week. I'm still waiting to hear back on all the final details. Uh, one other thing I mentioned last week, um, lifting up in prayer Tim and Janie. Um, as she began her rigorous treatment uh, for this cancer. And so she's, she's gone through that, and the next, I think she has like 18, 19 days left of that. So one thing that we're doing, because they're at Northside Hospital for at least probably another month, is we are coordinating meals to take meals to them. We're going to take three a week. And so if you're interested in helping with that, we probably need at least 12 different people to, to sign up. Miss Iva is organizing that, taking care of that. She knows what she can't, can't have. So if you're willing, see Iva this morning, or you can see her this week. She'll be here for Bible school and just say, hey, I want to help. She'll get you scheduled, tell you some information. But this is a way for us to love on them as they're up in an apartment um, not wanting or able to cook. So we're providing meals uh, for them. So see Miss Iva. All right, Brian is the deacon of the week, so he's going to close us with a word of prayer. we just thank you for this day we thank you for uh, this parable dear God and we just uh, pray that you'll guard our hearts guard our, our, our guide our hearts and guide our actions dear God in obedience to you and true obedience um, through the way we live um, uh, just through the way we follow you and, and dear God as we uh, turn our attention to, uh, to VBS uh, dear God we just pray that you will uh, just go before us and uh, we just pray that you'll use this week uh, in the lives of these um, uh, young people, uh, dear God, also in the lives of um, those that are volunteering and, and leading. Uh, we just pray that you're glorified in all that we do. Uh, dear God, we, we pray that we make much of your name, and we pray that lives uh, are changed through the saving power uh, and salvation uh, in you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.